For me, for me. How long have you been in the Navy? I've been blowing my life. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. We have 40 years of naval service. And each week we discuss a potpourri of topics, which we like to call smoke pit topics. These are real world topics that concern us, our marriage, and our Navy with a sailor twist. So join us each week as we dive into the deep end. Booyah. Hey everyone, welcome back to E14 Podcast. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we're E14 for a little bit longer. So we were just talking about... Heath is... One second on that shit. Heath is retiring. Yeah, I'm not going to change the name of the show though. And we said he's going to go from hero to zero. Yeah, but it's still going to be E14. All right, still ain't changing the name of the show. There's too much marketing. (laughs) Too much marketing in that shit. And just because I retire don't mean I lose all the life lessons I learned in the 26 years of active duty Navy. No, you stood the watch. Even before some of us were born to this world. Probably a lot of people. Yeah, you were born when I was standing (laughs) the watch. I mean, you were just really small. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm a player. All right, so today you just have the two of us. That's why we're hackling uh, and giggling um, and having a relaxed time. And just so everybody knows, I'm we're socially distancing. Yes, I do have the COVID. She was it infected. Got me. It didn't get me, though. It got me. It didn't get the kids. It didn't get my coworkers. It just got me. So she got it. I think I've hit the mic like two or three times. Hopefully it hadn't made a noise. You're already drunk. <laughs> oh. Um, I should be. Okay, so uh, today's the first day I can actually taste. Um, so um, I'm going to give you a review of this beer because even though we're not doing cigars, ports, and the seven seas yet, I'm going to give you a review. Do it just because you can taste. Just because I can taste. It's a, uh, from Abita Springs Brewery, and it is a cherry limeade sour. And I really got into sours. And I'm, I'm going to review something else for cigars, ports, and the seven seas, but... I've really gotten into sours lately. They really sit well in my stomach. I don't get um, nauseated. (laughs) I don't, I just, I don't know what it is about the sour. I don't know how they make it, but it just feels good in my stomach. I really like them. Yeah, I like them too. It's good. All right. So today we're talking about embracing the suck. I'm not drinking nothing, right? I mean, just forget about me. Well, you, you acted like I was encroaching on our. Cigars no, okay. no, no, no. Go ahead. Then. I'm not gonna talk about. It. I'm drinking some Knob Creek right. rye. Oh, Knob Creek rye. Bueno. All right. <clears throat> so today we're gonna talk about embracing the suck, which is a slang term that we use in the military. I think it's those across all branches, but um, not a lot of like civilians know what it means when we say embracing the suck and um we're gonna talk about that yes i'll talk about embracing the suck after a word from our sponsors welcome everybody back to e14 where we're talking about embracing the suck <laughs> so i mean it, hey can i just say something real quick i don't, I don't go ahead steal go the ahead. show yeah 
but Jamie has embraced been embracing a lot of suck lately. Therefore, as her husband, I've also been embracing the suck because happy wife, happy life, yeah. unhappy wife, unhappy life. So Please. it all started in January 2021 when we thought after 2020 was so yeah with the you know virus and everything we thought it was going to just magically get better on January 1st uh but for us it didn't we had some uh family issues in January Heath had a a stroke in February um let's see March April I think we were just dealing with the stroke and then in May I fell and got a concussion no that was June Oh, May. Okay. End of May or no, June. It was, it was June. Early, early mid Well, now I don't remember. But I anyway. had a concussion. <laughs> anyway, um, we, it, we thought I had an aneurysm for a while and now I've got COVID. Um, so it's been a hell of a, uh, 2021, I think. The boys missed their first day of school. Yeah, because uh, they're quarantined. But we're going to get back on track and, and reclaim. Well, I'm sucking too. And I'm going to tell you why, because I could have gotten out of 10 days of work, uh-huh. but no, I was on leave. So I really doesn't uh, do any good. Now blast. I'm quarantined, but I was on leave anyway. So I don't really get out of work. I was already off work. So blast, but you, uh, you know, you, you did not pick up. Master yeah, Chief. I'm a failure. No, you're not a failure. It is God's timing. I'm a loser. And he is retiring after 26 years of service, which is nothing to sneeze at. But anyway, um, embracing the suck means basically that um, it sucks, but we're going to do it anyway. And it it is kind of like a, um, it's kind of a attitude adjustment or reminder to adjust your attitude because a lot of things that we do whether it's civilian or military just flat out suck yeah and um and then you could complain about it you could feel terrible about it but you got to do it anyway so what's the point right i mean bitch and wine just get it done Right. right. I mean, if that's you, embracing it, embracing, just getting it done. Just like, like putting your head forward and just swinging through it because you gain nothing by procrastinating. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's actually a Buddhist principle. Really? Yeah. I thought it was a, a military thing. It, no, it, <laughs> it is a military thing, the wording, yeah. but it's a Buddhist principle or a concept. And, um, they say in the Buddhist culture, when we deny what reality is giving us, what is really happening, then we create suffering. So life is a dance between minimizing expectations and surrendering to what our lives actually reveal to us. So a lot of times we expect things to be a certain way. That's why we're like, oh, I don't want to do that or I don't want to go through that. But nobody said it was going to be perfect or easy or easy or that we were going to enjoy different parts of our work you know exactly that, that goes with anything else you, that gets thrown at you you're not going to enjoy it it's a it's a trial it's a tribulation yeah and i guess um on the internet i was kind of reading the history of it and stuff and uh and it, they really started bringing it out in the iraqi uh freedom war operation iraqi freedom and um, it's, a, it's both an implied order, the internet says, and wise advice. So um, 
I think it's it's more like when a leader's putting out something and they know it sucks. They know what they're asking of you. They know it's terrible. And so it's 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 in a it's a implied order like a suck it up. Suck Deal it up. with it. Deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And also advice. Like come on, let's change our attitude. Let's look at it a different way, you know. And let's keep it going. And for 26 years in the Navy, I'm sure you've had a lot of embracing this moment. Of course. But when I was putting it out to the guys or gals, I would just say, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> I would admit, yeah, this is shitty. But you know what? We still <laughs> got to do it. So let's get it done. You know, this, I acknowledged it uh, sucked. Yeah. I mean, well, that that is what it, what embracing the suck actually yeah. is, is acknowledgement that, yeah, um, what we're about to do is not going to be easy. You will not like it. Nope. But we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. And we can, let's try to have fun doing it, which you never really have fun doing it, but (laughs) (laughs) you can try. Yeah. So I'm looking up the, uh, I actually found an article that was eight ways to deal with embracing the suck. And I kind of liked it because it just gives you some ideas of how to deal with things and take it in stride. And I think that is one of our key forms of resilience is that everything that we have gone through personally and professionally, we just keep taking it in stride because I guess we just don't manage our expectations. Yeah, that's the biggest issue. We don't when, manage it When very you're well. used to getting the suck, you kind of just in, <laughs> get used to dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, I'm thinking back, one of the biggest suckiest thing I had to do it's when I was getting ready for an inspection on the ship back in 12, mm-hmm. 2012, and we were in Japan. So I had 37 people uh, working with me on this, and and it was a huge inspection. And the thing about it is, before I got in that position, before I got to the ship, they had just failed that same inspection. Wow. So this is the remake. Mm-hmm. And here I am, brand new chief petty officer, Brit, freaking getting pulled 10 ways from Sunday. Anyway, I tell the guys, I look, this is going to suck, but you had a lot of sea lawyers, right? Oh, you don't do it this week. I said, look, just whenever I say, just freaking do it. If I tell you to do something, just freaking do it. So I don't have time to explain to you why I'm telling you to do it. We're kind of on a time crunch. We mm-hmm. got through it. We got through it though. A lot of people uh, did well and it, you know, made the rest of their time on that ship, uh, you know, good because they had a good reputation. Um, a lot of awards were given out for those, uh, those guys and gals that helped out. And uh, got so how'd it. you do it? How'd you go about it? How'd I, you, how I, I just, uh, I, I, you learned your job first. You got to learn your job. And I didn't take a day off for like five months. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just worked my ass off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just worked 12 hours a day, every day, Monday through you know, Saturday through Saturday, Sunday through Sunday, however you want to say it. And I uh, got through it, but yeah, it was hard. You know, I've seen that a lot when your division or whatever it is that you're going to take over is going the wrong direction. It's like, you have to do an abrupt maneuver to get them going in the in the right direction and a lot of times the sailors are like what we're not used to that you're like pumping you're literally pumping the brakes from going one direction and turning everything i'll reverse yeah and um full speed reverse it's not something that the sailors truly like uh, especially when they're used to doing their own thing and yeah but um i remember i was i was chewing that ass out and it wasn't just my division it was a shipwide thing so I, this was people from all over the ship, mm-hmm. right? And um, 
I was chewing that ass out because they, they did it their own way. And we had a, like a, a, a mock inspection with the same people that yeah. were inspecting, but this was like months earlier. Right. And we had our asses handed to us. I had just taken over that, that position. And, uh, I was in there. I said, I told y'all if you just effing do what I tell you to do. You'd be fine. But y'all when it was all the way. I said, if I effing tell you to do something, just do it. And I looked up at the, at the end of the, uh, we we're in the cheese mess at the end of the cheese mess. There was the XO standing there. I just lit their ass up. And XO was like, he just nodded his head at me and just walked out. I was like, Phew. sir. I was like, oh, hey, sir. I didn't even know that I was going off. I didn't realize he was in there. <laughs> nodded his head. All right. So let's talk about these eight ways of how you can deal with embracing the set or in- embrace embracing this embrace, <laughs> embrace our mantra okay yeah. um the first one you have to figure it out no matter what is in front of you you have to figure out a way to overcome it in order to make any kind of progression so you know a lot that's just goes to don't quit and this is a developing good habits.com but it that just kind of goes to don't quit you have to figure it out yeah you can't just stop living no planes are still flying. Like I always said that when we were in air traffic control, if you, what we call lose the picture and you don't know who's, who's who and who's up in the air, you can't just freeze. You gotta find a spot and start working it until you get the picture back because you can't just stop talking. No. They're no, still flying. They're still, like they're still going. No silence on the line, right? Right. <laughs> so you got to figure it out and you got to find a way to, you know, find a, find us, find out who, you know, who is where, and then start working it from there and then get, regain the picture, you know? Um, number two, perseverance. When you're doing something that you don't want to do, it's easy to think, why am I putting myself through this? Well, there's yeah. a lot of things we don't want to do, like run. There's been times that I was like, what the hell am I screw this? And, and especially when you see everyone else so lackadaisical. Yeah. Like I'm sure on your ship, when everyone had already failed, the morale was probably low. And they're like, eh, who cares? Yeah. Just, just fail again. We already failed. So who cares if we get it right, you know? Um, and it, and it, when they're lackadaisical, it's so easy for you to become that way and, and start acting like, ah, who cares? We'll do our, we'll do our best, but that's it. Even if you don't go that route, only, only one, one person can only do so much. Right. It's a team effort. So yeah, there's one guy that's going to take the blame, Mm -hmm. but one guy can't succeed or one lady can't, this gal can't succeed by themselves. Yeah. Even though you'll take all the blame if you fail, but you can't succeed without the team. And it's hard. You've got to get the buy-in from the team and you got to get them to trust you. That's why you got to be hundred percent in, Mm -hmm. but you better be working harder as hard or harder than they are. Yeah, I agree. You can create mental toughness. That's number three. We know this because we do this in the Navy all the time and in the military. But um, it suggests dealing with and creating friction in your life uh, will help you build this sense of mental toughness. So that word friction, it actually comes like from the history of embracing the suck. 
There's a Perusian um, guy. I'm going to go back here. I hope I don't lose my place. But it was a Perusian guy. And he was like the first one to call embracing the suck or the suck and refer to it as fiction or friction. Clausewitz was his name. And then General, General Clausewitz um, was from Peru and he was the main person to understand the suck of war. So having to tell his guys to do something that he knew was, you know, actually really tough. Um, and he said that everything in war is very simple, but the simplest thing is difficult. The difficulties accumulate and end by producing a kind of friction that is inconceivable unless one has experienced war. So a lot of times when we're talking about embracing the suck, it's because we've already endured so much um, bad stuff or things we didn't want to do. And we've endured and endured and endured it. And then we're asking to endure it one more time or to go even further, to give even more. And that's a hard thing to ask of somebody or they have to have a lot of love for you, for that person in charge or a lot of respect for them to put themselves through that time and time again. Yeah. And that's uh, number four is practice enduring the struggles. So that kind of leads right into that practice enduring. Um, have you ever noticed that it's on your days that you feel your best that you decide to go above and beyond? These are the days that you uh, decide to start a new project. We often excel on these days when everything is falling into place. However, if this is the only time you practice doing things that you normally wouldn't want to do, you won't prepare, be prepared when you have to do it. True. So you got to be ready to excel even when you're not feeling your best is basically what that says. Right? Yeah. Put yourself in that position where you have to struggle a little bit. So you're, you're practicing, right? Mm -hmm. Muscle memory. I want to circle back to uh, what was the point before? The point um, number three was mental toughness, right? Yeah. Well, you can create mental toughness. I want to talk about real quick how important mental toughness is. It's so important that Naval Special Warfare has a program. They pay doctors to help their sailors push past their mental breakdown. As far as working oh out, gosh. pushing past where your mind says no, but your body could probably go further. They, they, they convince these men and women that they can go past their mental breakdown. That's how important they're spending a lot of money on this. I think um, I've seen that in my life and I've talked about this before, whenever I'm really afraid of heights and I was flying in it in Osprey and I wanted to go to the edge of the, the back gate. It's always open. I wanted to go to the edge and, and see the ocean and, um, and I couldn't, push past the fact the fear of heights I couldn't make my legs move they still moved I just couldn't do it so it was actually um a marine that was standing there that grabbed my hand and pulled me along and I just want to say that because if there is a point where you can't go on that's where your shipmates are important and you need to be able to see that that your partner or your coworker is 
at that point where they can't go on. And maybe they just need a hand to pull them along just a little bit to break through, you know, to break through that. But um, anyway, back to practicing and during the struggles, you know, that they always say you never rise to the occasion. You always sink to your highest form of training. Um, so if you're not practicing on enduring these struggles, you're going to break. Yep. Your... It's like, just like any, any event, like anytime we train for training for war. Right. Right. We, you did a story, uh, by the, uh, the retired Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. He, he practiced failing Yeah. So when they went to, to, uh, take out Osama bin Laden. Right. He failed. They, they, oh, yeah. Coop. Yeah. Coop. Yeah. They failed. They mm-hmm. actually wrecked, but they had practiced wrecking so much during the preparation that they knew exactly what to do after they, after they wrecked. You know, and we alluded to that because we're, when you're used to, we use the F word when you're used to getting, <laughs> when you're used to getting that way, um, the, the little annoyances that we see or that we kind of make fun of civilians for getting all up in arms about, we're like, dude, it's not that big of a deal, yeah. you know? Uh, and that's our mentality is because you, when you're used to getting railed constantly, 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 it's like, oh, well, it's just one more thing. It's not that bad. What are you talking about? <laughs> Why right. are you getting all? Yeah. Um, and then number five, engage with the sucky work. Is there a tedious task you have to do at home on a regular basis? Or perhaps you find your weekly team meeting at work to be a complete waste of time. This is a good instance in which you can choose to adjust your attitude to make the situation seem better. I can relate a little bit to the team meetings or the meetings you have at work. Um, It's not going to get any better if you're in the corner thinking about how much this sucks. Mm -hmm interact with it. Right. Yeah. Freaking pass, uh, pass the time, talk about it, whatever bothers you, bring it up. This maybe we should try it this way, engage yourself into this medium. Maybe it won't be so bad. It go by a lot faster. So this is some, this is a treasure that every sailor knows whether you are sweeping the deck or I don't know, polishing the brass, we find a way to make it fun. We will find every sucky opportunity <laughs> to make it fun. So like you were talking about, um, with the lines, mm-hmm. somebody will say something stupid and you all start laughing and, and you might be in the middle of just the worst hundred stripping and waxing decks. Yeah. Uh, 100, 110 degree heat or whatever, but you're all in the suck together. So yeah. why not make it fun? Somebody yeah. will put on some music, start dancing with their mom. mop. <laughs> whatever <laughs> until they slow dance with the mob that gets a little weird it's just got awkward okay yeah, got weird, weird, weird. <laughs> we're just gonna go back to <laughs> yeah but um engage with the set and, engage it. And, hey yeah. change your attitude about it act like you like it and fake it till you make it right 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 use that reverse psychology because if you like it they might not make you do it again <laughs> if they think you like it all right number six Accept personal responsibility for your feelings. If you're doing something that you really dislike, ask yourself, how would my best self get through this situation? I don't know. That's kind of dumb. Yeah, I don't like Accept personal responsibility for your feelings. How would my best self get through this situation? 
Okay. Yeah. Like if you were on your, if all of the stars pieces were, were aligning <laughs> and you were feeling 100%, how would you? I'd still think this would suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's stupid. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Number seven, build a routine. If you're embracing the suck, it means that you are engaging with it on a regular basis. If you get into the routine of persevering through things you don't want to do, it will keep you going in the right direction. We already said that. So, yeah, that's part of the mental toughness and just, yeah, getting, just getting through it. And then um, number eight, exceed expectations. David, they talk about David Goggins here. Uh, He makes a really good point about people's attitude towards life and work. He said, we live in a world where mediocrity is often rewarded. These men appear to test mediocrity. So meaning the seals. Yeah. Um, Think about your job, your outside responsibilities and your family life. Are you satisfied with the set with the status quo? How can you do more in your life to embrace the set and build your mental strength? I like that. That's good. Because um, a lot of times, because we get so stuck on the status quo or the mediocrity, um, that's where our expectations lie. And so we're like, well, I don't want to go above and beyond. That's dumb. That's that's not where I want to be. Uh, but that's just because we're so used to being at that mediocrity, mediocrity level, you yeah. know? Yeah. You should always strive for excellence. Is that what kind of what he's saying? Right. So don't yeah. just do, do your job, right. And what some and, more and more outside, like take charge of this property and all government property in view, mm-hmm. not just what you are around, but what you can see. Right. right. I, that's our first general order, by the way. So just throwing that out there. Ooh. 26, 26 years. <laughs> I still remember. <laughs> That's no, the only one I remember. That it's true. We need to manage our expectations and we need to exceed our expectations in order to not get so um, confined in this box. Because when you really think about it, when you say this is sucks or this is what I don't want to do, or I don't want to like, you're limiting yourself to a box. Yeah. You're putting yourself in a box and you're just not doing, you're not going above and beyond in your life and your family and your relationships or whatever it may be. You're not doing your best. Right. Right. And it's okay. What they say, give a hundred percent of what you can every day. Yeah. Maybe you're a hundred percent on Tuesday is not as good as your hundred percent on Wednesday, but you're giving a hundred percent. That's all anybody can ever ask. And I find, I always tell myself, thank you, squared away me, because when I'm having a really terrible day, uh, some of that stuff from Monday carries over to Tuesday. Yeah. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah, so um, I always tell you, tell myself, thank you, squared away me, because I save my butt a lot by being good on my good days and doing my, my, my best on my bad days. Right. That's, that's, a good way to, that's a good way to be. Yeah. If you're always doing your best, most of the time you're going to be okay, right? So hopefully you learn to embrace the suck and go forth and do great things this week. Hope so. And change your attitude. Change your damn attitude. So with that, we'll wish you. Mm -hmm. We're not not going to do that. No, we're not done yet. We're going to go into this whole thing music right now. No. Yeah.
I'm gonna tell a damn story, whatever it is. All right. Let's oh, you don't, want, you, you don't want me to tell a story? No, I do. I'm gonna get a different drink to review. We're not reviewing a drink. I'm just telling, oh, you wanna review a drink? Oh. We're getting ready for cigar sports in the 70s. I didn't get what you were getting at. Dense. I'm not doing my best today. Welcome to Cigars, Ports, and uh, Seven Seas. I'll show hashtag CP7S. Yes. If you would like to be featured on our Instagram with your cigar or drink choice that maybe you were inspired to have, please hashtag us at CP7S and we will feature you on our Instagram to all five of our followers. Uh, both of them. <laughs> we got a baker. I, th- five. You I, th- said I think we got a baker's dozen. <laughs> Yes, we will feature you on our page. So, how much you know. is a baker's dozen? Like eight? 13. Oh, my bad. No, dozen, a dozen. Well, a baker's dozen. Yeah. It's 13? Yes. I didn't know. Anyway, what are you drinking? Uh, I don't want to talk about it. You annoyed me. <laughs> you go first. All right. So, I'm having a <laughs> seltzer and uh, super excited about this because, you know, every beer company is making seltzers. So I'm just working my way through all my favorite beers and trying their seltzers. And I've been really um, pleased with most all of them. Right now, the one that I'm enjoying is from Abita um, because we're only about 30 minutes away from Abita Springs Brewery. And so Heath can run over there and get us all of the latest um, pilot brews and all of their special only in the tap room growlers um so we've been doing that but they have a watermelon seltzer is that made by beta though yeah it's a watermelon seltzer made by beta okay well i don't know check the can you i don't get up i threw it away i was going to read off the can but somebody threw it away yeah because it was dripping you made a mess but anyway it's a watermelon seltzer i've been really in a watermelon like so in the watermelon uh, all summer long um another one of my favorites this summer has been the watermelon goss from um terrapin brewery Mm -hmm. out of uh, georgia georgia athens i think and so i saw the watermelon seltzer and i just had to have a taste so i'm gonna have a taste right now and tell you what i taste if i can taste anything at all you know like we said earlier she's getting over the the covid well, it's a nice, light watermelon taste. Is it because you have COVID or is it because... I have no idea. Do you, not trust my... <laughs> You're doing a review, but you can't taste shit. Or smell it. <laughs> wow. Sm- I smell a light watermelon. I smell water. <laughs> <laughs> Just try it for yourself then, if you don't believe me. I would take a sip of your drink out of it. I'll yeah. catch your cooties. <laughs> well that's all i got for you then today folks (laughs) well just coming back if you you actually smelled and taste some watermelon that means you're doing a lot better that's good that's better than you were yesterday Uh hell of a lot better than you were a few days ago yeah i'll say your your nose was blind a few days ago not smell anything come and go i'm gonna drinking like i said earlier when we were talking about embracing the suck i was drinking some knob creek rye whiskey 
It's good stuff. Kentucky stuff, Kentucky whiskey. Uh, I'm going to hit it real quick. Smooth, pretty smooth, pretty smooth, 100 proof. Uh, so that's, that's 50.5% uh, alcohol by volume. A lot, lot of, lot of uh, vanilla in here, a little oak. Pretty uh, pretty slow, uh, oily. Not honestly oily, but it, the legs on it are, uh, are really slow. So it gives you a good, good little hug at the end. And it's good. I, I love the bourbon. I bought the raw. Good stuff. I highly recommend it. Knob Creek's good whiskey. Um, yeah. So for our viewers on Patreon, I'm going to get up and I'm going to turn the camera to the bar because Heath now has a bourbon and whiskey bar. So I'm going to let the viewers on Patreon have a look. Then we'll figure out how to get it on Patreon, right? After yeah. you show that. After okay. That. <laughs> it's legit. See that sign? So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie, Jamie's really been doing a lot of work in this bar to make it appealing to the eye. So we got a cool sign. We got some, got some bottles, some good whiskey, got some Navy nostalgia. You see the goat in the back with the hat hanging on it. That's a uh, goat. Cause being a, being a chief petty officer in the Navy, they call us goats. That's an African goat. She got from Djibouti. Yeah. The, they have long horns. Yeah. African goats, small face. Big horn. Also got some headshots up here. <laughs> We're a big deal. Yeah. For our listeners, yeah. no big deal, but no. we've got a badass bar. Yeah. And we've got the bell and to ring. We got the bell. Whenever the bar is open. And I I don't hear no bell. <laughs> All right. Jamie's got to ring the bell because the bar is open because I'm drinking. Obviously, it's open, right? Oh, yeah. I can ring it for everyone if you want. Please. Yeah. Will it reach? Don't don't. She's gonna read it. Oh, gosh, like he broke something. Shit. That shit hurt. There you go. There you go. The old baby bell. That's right. And if, right. You, if you show up in my bar with your hat on, you got to buy us all around. But it's free because <laughs> it's my bar and you can use my booze. All right. So let me talk about a cigar I smoked the other day, real quick. Um, I don't have one to show because I smoked them both because uh, it was good. So. I took some notes though, so that's cool. And also, due to my um, ailments, we've missed. Well, we did get one recording done last week, um, but it is only exclusive to Facebook. Yeah, so we just did because it was only like follow like, us on Facebook. Twelve or thirteen minutes. It was good though. We had a lot of stuff, but it just was twelve or thirteen minutes. Yeah. So follow us on Facebook if you'd like to see that episode. It's exclusive. So this is the uh, Olivia Oliva. Oliva, not Olivia. Oliva series, they call it V. I call it five. Especial Liga de Lancero. So it's a, a seven by 38. So long, thin, right? Mm -hmm. At light up, I got a medium to full body. So it's a it's not super strong, but it has a little, little kick to it, right? It's good stuff. Smooth, snug draw at first. Like it took me a while. When I say a snug draw, you gotta you gotta give a you know, I don't say suck on it, it's so dirty. But you gotta yeah. puff on it pretty hard. You got it, yeah. To get it, but it, it loosens up pretty quick. Woody notes, uh, slight pepper to the finish. If you remember when I talked about the aging room last mm -hmm. last one, super peppery. This one's peppery, but not as peppery as that one. So just a hint. Um, that was that light up. So the first third started getting kind of sweet. I couldn't really place the sweet notes, but it was had a sweet note to it. Draws a lot easier. Still the pepper, pepper, and a 
um, cinnamon. Had a little cinnamon oh, in there. Yum. Still woody. Great burn lines. Did not burn uneven. Perfect burn line. Second, third. Great burn continued. Some notes, same notes as the first third, but had a little coffee. Huh. So, uh, sweet, maybe molasses or syrup kind of a taste to it, a hint to it. Pepper, and it stayed about medium body. You know, that's what I don't get about. And I'm not a cigar smoker, obviously, but I don't understand the pepper. Like all of that sounds great, except for the pepper. It tingles. Oh, it tingles on the back the of your spice. tongue, the spice, right? And then when you retrohale out your nose, you get a little bit of burn. Not painful, but you know, it's there. like a pepper burn. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Same thing as if you're eating it. Uh, the third, the final third was a little cocoa coffee, still stayed medium to full bodied. Great smoke. A lot of smoke output. Smoke smelled pretty good. Actually, it wasn't mm-hmm. too, too bad. And I would I smoked both of them. <laughs> so it was good. Normally I, I keep, I smoke one. I keep one to show. Yes. But, but I've been to, the, I've been into the, the thinner cigars, like not the big fat cigars. I don't know why I've just, I've come into that lately and I, I saw it sitting there. I was like, man, it looks good. So I smoked. Is that the snug? Is it the thinner they are, the snugger? Nah, not necessarily. It just oh. happened that was snug at first, but as soon as I started smoking on it, it loosened up and mm. it had a great smoke output, creamy smoke output. It was great. Oh, wow. Yes. So I'm ready for today's story. Because oh. I'm so hey, first, first of all, you, you saw what? Excited. Oh, You've yeah. been telling me bits and pieces and I'm like yeah. intrigued. So now. baby, uh, full disclosure, get your uh, editing skills ready. Mm. I'm just telling you. Dang it. <laughs> so uh, thank you, my buddy, Alex Flores, retired uh, chief uh, quartermaster, U.S. Navy, hit me up, uh, gave me a quote by Stephen Decatur who is a badass sailor from back in the days of yore. When I say days of yore, I mean quasi-war, Barbary War, uh, War of 1812. Uh, he was a, a Navy Commodore. Oh. So the difference, you got a Navy captain who's in charge of a ship, right? Mm-hmm. He runs the ship. Commodore, back then, they called a squadron of ships. So maybe three or four ships that they were in charge of. Uh, so they were in charge like three or four captains. So it was above a captain, mm-hmm. but below the admiral. Right. So still a big ass deal. So in today's Navy, uh, we do have uh, aviation Commodores and yeah. we have, you know, surface ship. surface ship Commodores. Yeah. Yes. And I'm sure submarine. Commodores. Yeah. They have Commodores too. Uh, we had one yeah. com- uh, the Commodore of a uh, Subron 22 when I was on the MRS land, a sub tender out yeah. of uh, Italy back in the day. So yes. We yeah. We got them in recruiting too. So higher than a captain. So higher than the, the division or so higher than the command. Yeah. And uh, lower than the Admiral. Right. That's so where that, the Commodore is. He's that in between the Admiral and the, and the so maybe command like officer. Two to three commands under him. Yeah. And then the Admiral's over yep. all of them. Yep. Perfect. Perfect description. So this is Stephen Decatur. So a Naval, naval Commodore. So we, um, before we get started, I'm going to let everybody know this guy was so big, they named five ships after, after him. Jeez. Five ships are named after Stephen Decatur and 17 U.S. cities. Now, I didn't re- I didn't actually look at each city and see if they were actually named after Stephen Decatur, mm-hmm. but there are a few of them that I did. At least what two about or three. Decatur Street in New Orleans? Named after Stephen Decatur. What? I did. Just, uh, yep. Right there in New Orleans in the French Quarter. Uh-huh. Named after Stephen Decatur, the uh, Navy Commodore. Well, hi, Sam. He was a big deal. 
Yeah. He fought in some big wars. He was a badass. Let's talk about it. Okay. So he was born in Maryland on January 5th, 1779. His daddy, Stephen Decatur Sr., also a Navy Commodore during the American Revolution. Wow. So after that, after the, this is 1779, so we're already America, right? Mm-hmm. So we're done with the Brits. So he is now a merchant marine sailor. So he had, um, after um, Stephen Jr. was born, he was in the merchant marine. So he was done with his Navy time. So about a little, little, little bit of a backstory. So young Stephen at eight years old developed whooping cough. Aww. So the tonic for that or the cure was salt water. So daddy senior took, took Stephen Jr. Out. I'm going to Europe. So I'm going to take him with me. On a, took him a, on the ship. Took him on the ship. All that salt water cured him. Wow. You know, that was a deadly disease back then. Wow. This is a big deal, but he got cured to salt water, constant salt water going, uh, going across the Atlantic. You know, I'm going to uh, use that him. as a recruiting tool now. Hey man, if you got whooping cough, join the Navy. That's right. That's good. Yeah. That's good selling <laughs> point. So Stephen, uh, obviously went to elementary high school, was not a great student, barely got his high school degree, barely got through high school. So he was pretty, not say lazy, but he didn't care about the school stuff much. But when he got into the university of Pennsylvania, he started buckling down, did pretty well, but he, he wanted to hit the seas. He had his daddy's blood in him. He was mm-hmm. ready to hit the, hit the seven seas. So he dropped out of college after a year mm. and joined a, uh, a ship, uh, shipbuilding firm. Okay. But the shipbuilding firm, the people in charge, uh, Gurney and Smith were friends of daddy. So they got him on a, uh, got him a job overseeing the building of the USS, the frigate U- USS United States. Okay. So one he, of the first, right. The frigate, it was a, yeah. So let's talk about pre-constitution. Yeah. Time frame. Well, the USS United States was along with that. The first five, yeah, first five, right. Yeah. Right. The first five. Right. So after that was built in 1797, he became a midshipman, which is, you know, what you do before you actually join the Navy, you kind of a in between yep. on the USS United States. So he helped oversee the building of it. Then he became a midshipman on it. Young age. This is like 17, eight years, 18 years old. So you got to think at this time, American had won its, its independence from Britain, as I said before. So Britain wasn't given us any backing wasn't, helping them with military. It was all on America to so do So they this. weren't our allies at that time. Well, they weren't really, we weren't enemies, but they didn't, they didn't owe us their protection. Okay. You got what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. French were pissed. First of all, why we still, we were still trading with Britain, right? Mm-hmm. We were still, you know, they buy our stuff. We buy their stuff. We trade with each other. We wasn't buddies, but we did business together. We were cordial. Cordial, if you will. <laughs> right. So French were pissed. Like, why the hell you, we just, we just got in a war because the French helped us in the American revolution. Yeah. We just got in a war with these guys. What? 20 years ago or not even 20, 10 years ago. And you still owe us money for helping you. Mm. America wasn't paying it. So French were pissed, very pissed off. So basically what the French were doing, they, they would, they would take in, take in like, uh, if they saw American merchant ships trading with Britain, they would go ambush the ships and take it. Wow. And this kept That's going petty. That is. That is because they had a strong Navy, right? They're a lot older than us, a lot, lot more people than us. So they had a strong Navy. They're right up there with the Brits. So if they saw American merchants trading with the British merchants, they would just take it. So fast forward a little while. Let's talk about the Quasi War. So 1798 to 1800-ish was the Quasi War. Quasi men 
like pretend, I guess. Or semi. Semi war. So it was kind of a, it wasn't, it was kind of just between French and America, right? France and America. So at the time, uh, Stephen Decatur is a lieutenant. So he's that while the United States, the USS United States, the ship was getting repairs and refitting, they told uh, Stephen, stay behind and recruit people because we need to get, get the French, right? Oh, he was on recruiting duty? He was just like recruiting people old school way. They're like, hey, get off of this ship and come work with us, oh, right? Wow, like yeah. these uh, merchant ships or mm-hmm. whatever. We need sailors. Get your ass over here and come on the USS United States, right? Or whatever. So he pissed off this old boy, the, the chief mate or the first mate, kind of the guy in charge of the deck guys on the ship, right? Whatever. Uh, I forgot. I don't think they ever said what ship it was on. So that guy challenged him to a duel. Well, done. calm and practice back then. That's how officers sold it. American officers, if they had a problem with each other, they would do a duel, shooting guns and shit. Wow. Yeah. So this to guy the death. to the death, right? <laughs> well, that escalated quickly. So what happened right before that, the, um, the chief mate mm-hmm. said, was kind of cussing, dogging out Decatur, dogging out his family, dogging out the UN, United States Navy, saying some nasty things. Mm-hmm. So Decatur was like, you know what? I'm going to back out. I don't want to cause no trouble. I left. Talks to his daddy, senior. Daddy said, no, he disgraced your family, he disgraced the US Navy. You got dueled his ass. Yeah, get so, him. So they dueled. So Decatur said, look, I'm, Decatur was a badass shot. Decatur was like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to kill the guy. I'm just going to wing him. I'm going to hit him in his leg or something. Right. Mm-hmm. So did that. I think it was eight paces. I can't remember, but they did their, they did their paces, turn around. Oh boy shot. Decatur shot, hit him right. Or said, run them thigh, just winged him. This wounded him. Mm-hmm. So he got to leave with a clear conscience, no fatalities. Okay. And he got his guys. And, uh, he hopped on the, he hopped on the, uh, Norfolk a little bit later. He hopped on the USS Norfolk, um, well, he originally hopped on the United States, but it suffered some damage during gale force winds, just matched up. So while he was getting refitted and re, you know, fixed, he right. hopped on the Norfolk. The USS Norfolk went out to the West Indies, captured 25 and killed 25, uh, destroyed and captured 25 different French ships trying to attack merchant merchants, American merchants. Go ahead, Norfolk. Brought their ass back. So he is a hero, right? Right. So that kind of ended around 1800, that, that quasi war ended. And then we got in the Barbary Wars, war, the wars of Barbary. Now Barbary, it's the area North uh, Africa. Okay. You got three or four countries. You got uh, Algiers, Tunis, uh, Tripoli, and sometimes Morocco. It's right when you go through the Straits of Gibraltar or Spain, it's that little Straits of water between Spain and Africa. Uh-huh. Right in the North Africa part. So right south of the Straits of Gibraltar. So they were starting on some shit. They pretty much waged war on America. They uh during during one time the USS Philadelphia had gone aground. Dang. Right on this reef out of nowhere near Tripoli. So the tri- Tripoli Navy saw them, captured the ship, and put it back to Tripoli in their harbor, stole it. Oh. So February, this was 1804 or I want to say early 1804, late 1803. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was, I think it was October 1803. So February 1804, on board the USS Intrepid. Oh boy, uh, Decatur said, I'm going to get that ship back. They are not going to freaking take our ship. Hell right? yeah. So him and his crew, 80 volunteers, most of them Marines, shores of Tripoli. Yeah. 
A lot of Marines there. It's the, in their song. It is. It's kind of their thing. USS Siren was their like cover fire ship to okay. back them up. These guys were so sneaky, baby. They dressed the ship up like a Maltese merchant ship. What? Carrying British colors. So they look like a, you know. That's under, legit. That's like some old school black pearl type. Exactly. Exactly. Parts of the Caribbean. Exactly. That was really, really smart, right? That was some right. guerrilla warfare there, this sneak attack. So they even had a Sicilian uh, polyne officer. Now the polyne officer is the guy that you, when you pull into a foreign port, they get on board so they can talk to the, uh, the harbors and the people, you know, oh, coming in. Like so they the, can, the PR guy. He's like, a PR, but he speaks PAO, their language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He speaks their language. So, you know, I know yeah. we always like, we pulled into Thailand. We had the pilot officer that was Thai uh-huh. or whatever come in so he yes. could speak their language when they're talking over the radio. Yeah. So this guy was Sicilian, but he spoke Arabic. What do you think they spoke in Tripoli? Arabic. Arabic. Everything was, and they were even dressed up like Maltese merchant marines. They were even dressed up in their clothes. Wow. So they're pulling into Tripoli Harbor and they get, they get permission to just roll on in that because they, they said uh, their excuse was they lost their anchor in a storm. They needed some uh, safe Haven so they can get it fixed in Tripoli. Oh, waved them on in. <laughs> so they got close. Like a Trojan horse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they got, they got uh, close enough to board the, uh, the Philadelphia with swords, sabers took over, killed like 20 people and took a couple hostage. And uh, they got in close enough and they realized this son of a bitch is not seaworthy. The Philadelphia? The Philadelphia was not seaworthy. Because oh, they had four masts was gone. And while they were, and while they, they were. should have done some recon. That was before the days of recon. <laughs> look, they did pretty good. Yeah, they did their best. I like they had radar. Right. But, but, but they, their four masts, I think, was gone. I think uh, while they were ran aground, they were trying to get. From a ground, say so lighten the load and knocked all their guns off to, oh, to make it lighter. Goodness. So there was no weapons. They're like, all right, old Commodore Preble, Preble, named ship named after him. He was a Commodore at the time. Said, if you can't steal it, burn it. Yeah. So they burned it. So they couldn't use their ship or use get their more of their technology or whatever. Reason. Hey, we do that in today's Navy. If it ain't, if it can, if I can't have it, nobody can have it. Yep. Burn it. They burn the hell out of it. Not one fatality on the, the caters uh, team. So during the burning, wow. the siren was fire cover, right? Mm-hmm. During the confusion, they were able to burn it. You hop on back on the siren and roll out. What about the prisoners? I, I, I couldn't find anything about the Dang. prisoners. I'm assuming they probably killed them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm assuming well, I was thinking of the whole time. I was like, what about the guys? That were yeah. Running? Like, I, uh, I don't, I don't think they're, they're like, yes, our guys are here. Oh, they're going away. Yeah, but they had some, well, it did say something about, they were, were able to rescue a few of the captured. Oh, good. so probably they, they got out of there. Yeah. But that a lot of, they got a lot of fame for that. Not just in America, but Naples, mm-hmm. they, they dubbed them the terror of the foes. The Pope pretty much said, America, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing here, so don't direct quote me on this, but the United States was able to take out these anti-Christian barbarians in one night and Europe couldn't do it for a very long period of time. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. 
Uh, so they, he was famous, famous. He, he, he went on to command ships and successfully command ships after that. And then you go through the war of 1812. So 1812, Our pivotal war, a pivotal war, right? So 1812 to 1816. So I want to touch on something real quick. I think I can't touch on everything he did or it would, would be here for hours. Right? right. So the biggest thing that I saw, which I thought was funny. So who are we against in the war of 1812? What country? Britain, right? Mm-hmm. That was like pissed. Britain started fucking around again. So he had a, you know, no offense to my British friends. All right. It's a long time ago. Don't get butter. But, but, uh, so we had to take control, right? We had to take care of business. So they went out and captured the U the HMS, her majesty's ship, Royal Navy, yeah. right? Macedonian. Side note. Did you know that the Royal Navy is the only military branch in England to carry the Royal title and they used to have a Royal army, but she took it away. She took it away. Yeah. I heard that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They're a bunch of fucking allies. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I learned that when I was in London. It's true. Though, the, yeah. I think yeah, you told me that. NATO. Yeah. yeah. You told me that. Yeah. I love that side note. By the way, that was great. Yeah. So Just adding to it, the Macedonian, you, the, her majesty's ship, Macedonian took it. Either captured or killed everybody on it. Brought that ship back to us, renamed it the USS. Macedonia and use that against the Brits yeah. in later war in later battles in the war of 1812. <laughs> we'll take your ship and use it against you. That's pimp. That is. And by that time he was a, he was a Commodore. He was in charge of uh, three or four. Essex was one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. The USS Essex is one of them, but uh, yeah, I love that story. That's cool. So he became like a captain at age 25. Wow. So you're talking about the war of 1812. He was born in what, 1779? So what was he? 10, 11, 20, 30 years old? 31, something like ah, that. God. Commodore. Because he died at 41. What? And I'm about to tell you why. What? I'm about to tell you why. So hold on a second. Let's just put this into perspective because he has just served almost 26 years. Yeah. This and dude you... was a full bird captain in less time than I've served. And how old are you? 45. My God. You got to think people died young back then. They probably got a lot of spot promotions. They did. They, they died young, but they also were um, more grown up than I guess we are. Right. They've been, they were selling at kids. They were doing this stuff as kids. You you know what, you know what I mean? Right. You know, and and that's why people had so many kids back then. Cause if they, they had 12 kids, they lost six. eh? (laughs) They got six to survive. It's not their attitude. Yeah. Man. No. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> They're not animals. Death is part of life. It is true. <laughs> but he did not die of natural causes at 41. What? Okay. All right. I'm interested. So there's this Commodore Baron. I think his, I think his name was Baron or Barton. Let me look it up real quick. I'm having a brain fart. I'm going to get another drink. Okay. Damn, you're going to get drunk. Yep. All right. Please proceed. proceed. So there was a cat, Commodore. Talking about a Commodore that when when Decatur was a young lieutenant, worked he worked for this guy during the Quasi War, maybe even the Barbary Wars wars. So this guy was a fuck up, I guess. So he screwed up and around the F word. I'm sorry. We'll put the explicit filter on. He screwed up, I guess. 
So around 1806 ish time frame, he he had lost a battle with the uh, the Brits. Some mm. little I forgot the name. It was a little battle that that he lost his ship to, and he was under. He went to court martial. Wow. Decatur was on the court martial. Found him guilty of uh, not being prepared. <gasps> he lost his commission. He lost the ability to command anything for five years. So Decatur at the time is like basically saying this dude's trash, piece of shit, sucks, yeah. sucks at life, whatever. So old James Barron <laughs> challenged him to a duel. <laughs> That's how they roll back in. Don't you wish you could go to mass and like, you know, court martial yeah. and like be like, you know what, sir, I don't agree with you. Duel. <laughs> duel. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna fucking shoot your ass. But. This is like March 1820-ish, I believe. That's when he died, I believe, March 22nd. Going off the top of my head. But anyway, so chat into a duel. So in these duels, everybody, the, the duelers get a second, right? They're, they're, they're man, right? They're second in charge, they're second mm-hmm. guy. So Decatur chose Bainbridge, ship named after him. Mm-hmm. So Bainbridge uh, was his second. I forgot who the uh, who Baron chose, but it doesn't matter to the story. But... They uh, they met up. I think it was in D.C. somewhere. And they were going to, at 9 o'clock on the 22nd, they're going to duel it out. So this whole time, right, they're you know, talking shit. Or, you know, not shit talking. They really had a disdain for each other, right? Wow. And they said this was settling. So they, you know, normally dueling, you, you face back to back, you walk forward so many paces, you turn around and shoot. That's not how they did it. They never turned their backs. They backed up eight paces and the judge, whoever it was said, I'm going to count to three before by the, you cannot shoot. You can shoot. You cannot shoot before I say one or after I say three. So you can go one pop. Yeah. Or two pop. But after I say three, you can't say nothing. You can't say that before one. So they do their paces. One, both shoot. So Decatur struck Baron in the, uh, below the abdomen somewhere. Baron struck Decatur in the pelvic area, mm. severing arteries. Mm. So, but after that, you know, he was like, they were both like, Baron was totally upset. They were both upset that they shot each other, right? So Baron, they were basically a bunch of, bunch of love between each other, uh, between uh, between them after it was over. Like, farewell, my friend. Uh, I'm sorry, my friend. You know, it was a lot of my friend this, my friend that. It was weird. You know, I guess if you like try to kill somebody, I guess, you know, all the anger is gone for some reason. I don't know. You know, I'm just going to say, you know, how guys mostly just like fight and like it's over knock afterwards. each other yeah. out and it's over and then you're best friends. Right. But I guess back in the day, they didn't know that they could just hit them with their fists oh, and they, feel they, the same way. They got them guns. <laughs> they got them guns. But uh, they severed the artery, so he was bleeding pretty bad, you know, and um, they got it. They took him to his house so they could care for him and stuff. And the doc could be there. So he was house was in Lafayette square in Washington, DC, beautiful place. He lived there less than maybe a year to year and a half before, before he was shot. Mm-hmm. So that's where he died. March of, uh, 1820 died in his home after a fatal gunshot room in a duel. My goodness. But, after everything he's been through. I know he's it's crazy. Thief at night, you know, burned down a whole freaking ship. <laughs> After everything he went through, he died in a stupid duel. In a duel where he was a good shot too. This dude was supposed to be 
pretty ba- a badass with, with I don't a, care with if a he's a good shot or not. The duel was dumb in itself. <laughs> <laughs> but he had some cool quotes. Can I can I can I talk about him real quick? Yeah. Okay, so one of his quotes he's famous for, a few here. Our country, in her intercourse with foreign nations, may she always be in the right. But our country, right or wrong, basically it's still our country, whether she's right or wrong. My country, right or wrong, will still be my country. That's another one. Mm. It's a, it is part of a sailor's life to die well. Those are cool. And I got one more. This one really, about a, a little bit about his leadership that uh, he, he was known for. So... Crewman respected Decatur as much as his superiors. One who served under him remembered Decatur giving his men advice on how to be successful. This is his advice. The first quality of a good seaman is personal courage, he said. The second is obedience to orders. The third, fortitude under sufferings. Embraces suck, right? Yeah. To these may be added. An ardent love of country. I need say no more. I am confident you all possess them all. Wow. And I want to thank uh, Alex Flores, good buddy, to, to hit, He sent that. That last one, he sent that to me. Flow Rider. Flow Rider. Sent it to me and uh, kind of inspired me to do this little story about Com- Commodore Stephen Decatur. Like I said, he had five ships named after him. Mm-hmm. Tons of cities and towns named after him. Streets in New Orleans named after him. I'm sure there's more Decatur streets out there, but that's the one in the French Quarter. And he he was a trailblazer in the U.S. Navy at his infancy. And he is remembered. And a lot of the stuff we do today is because of his actions back in the uh, early 1800s. Wow. So um, once we are done with this, uh, coronavirus. We're going to go out to Decatur Street and drink a toast to him. Yep. But today we raise our glass. Stephen Decatur. Stephen Decatur. What's that again? What'd you say? Stephen Decatur. Decatur. <laughs> I call him Stephen. <laughs> yeah. But we'll get out there and we'll go live on our Facebook page. Yeah. To Stephen Decatur. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. And as always, we wish you fair winds and following seas.